There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Shalom. That is an ancient Hebrew word that we're going to focus on on this podcast. It has mysterious layers of meaning, and it is a powerful prophetic proclamation. I believe after you hear this teaching, even if you have not used this word in greeting others in the past, you may start doing it from time to time in the future. Now, Gentiles have a very powerless way of greeting each other, high and by. Well, there's no associated deeper meaning to high and by than high and by. But with Shalom, it is much, much different, and it's tied with God, and it is a declaration of receiving something from God. So it's a faith-filled confession that you can make on a daily basis. Shalom comes from the word Shalom, which means to be safe in mind, in body, and in all the conditions of your life. So first and foremost, when you say shalom to a person, it's like saying be safe. Be safe everywhere you go, in everything you do. And it's a prayerful utterance. It's certainly not a declaration that is intended to be sourced in the person who is speaking, but connected prayerfully to the source, which is God himself. Shalom has layers of meaning, as I said, welfare, rest, peace, prosperity, wholeness, and it has kind of the connotation of nothing missing and nothing broken. So it means to do well and to be well in every area of your condition of existence, body, mind, soul, and spirit. I think the first place we need to go is the Levitical prayer found in Numbers chapter 6. This was a prayer given to the priests to proclaim over the people. And I am captured, I'm captivated by the meaning, the depth of meaning behind these statements. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 27. Let me read it first and then go back. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, of course, in the original Hebrew, the word is not peace. The word is shalom. The Lord give you shalom. Now, the first thing that impacts me about this is it was an inspired prayer. It was a God-given prayer. God communicated that prayer to Moses so that he could turn around and answer that prayer when it was proclaimed. So it was not something 
that originated by man. It was not authored by human beings, which shows me the heart of God. God gives a prayer for the priest to pray just so he can respond to the priest and answer the prayer for the people. That shows you how much God wants to intervene in the lives of his people. And the very last word in the entire prayer is the word shalom. And then God said in verse 27, so shall they put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. Some people feel that if you make faith statements, faith confessions, faith declarations like this, that you are robbing God of his sovereignty, that when you come to God prayerfully, it should be a petition. It should be a plea, but not a proclamation. Because if you proclaim something, you're asserting your will. You're not declaring God's will. God may will something differently in that situation. But God himself gave them a prayer that was not a plea. It was not a petition. It was a proclamation because God desires us to cooperate with him in his sovereignty by declaring his sovereignty in a world that wants to rob him of it. And so there's nothing wrong with making power confessions. And that's what the word shalom is. It is a power confession. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. That's fighting the good fight of faith as far as I'm concerned. And I pray that God will give you shalom, that he will give you the peace of God as I continue with this teaching. The next thing I want to bring out is the intriguing way David used the word shalom when he greeted his brothers in the valley where Goliath was opposing the people of God. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 22 says, David left his supplies in the hand of a supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. However, in the Hebrew, it said he shalomed his brothers. So just like high five can be a noun and a verb, turn around and high five somebody. Well, that's a verb. And you may say, I lifted my hands and did a high five. That's a noun. So in this particular case, the noun shalom turns into a verb. He shalomed his brothers. And in essence, that was the first expression of faith in an atmosphere that was saturated with fear. I don't think anybody in that crowd that had witnessed Goliath's challenge for 40 days, give me a man that we may fight together, none of them felt faith. And here this little shepherd boy came into that arena of fear and said, Shalom. And that was the first light penetrating a lot of darkness that day. And you know the outcome of the story how David slew Goliath. And some of you are facing Goliaths in your life, things that look bigger than you, stronger than you, mightier than you, but you can speak against that atmosphere of fear and say, 
God is my shalom. He is my source of peace, wholeness and wellness in every area of my life and expect it to come to pass. This is one of my favorite thoughts on the word shalom. It comes from Isaiah 26, verse 3. Double shalom. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Speaking to God, the prophet said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why would I call it double shalom? Because in the original Hebrew, the same word translated peace is also translated perfect. He will keep you in perfect peace and shalom, shalom. If you do what? What's the condition attached to that promise? If you stay your mind on God. That's not an easy thing to do because there's a whole lot pulling on your mind to captivate it. Fears from the future, dread, feelings over some confrontational issue you've got to deal with today, regrets and remorse from the past, self-condemnation, guilt, a feeling of inadequacy, All these things claw at your mind to try and build strongholds in order to incapacitate you, in order to paralyze you from making any progress in your life. And you've got to deal with the negativity or it will overtake you very quickly. You can't let it go. It's like an ant mound. Have you ever kicked over an ant mound and come back an hour later and it's all built back up again? It's the same way with the negativity that is fostered by the lower nature. It will build right back up again if you don't continually deal with it on a daily, even hourly basis. You've got to reassert that you are a person of purpose if you're born again, if you are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a person of purpose and you have found your connection with God. And The past is a good place to visit, to learn lessons, but not a place to live. The future is something that will take care of itself. You have a focus on this day, this day, keeping your mind focused on God and focused on the moment and do your best to wring every drop of worth out of your day and see if it doesn't work well for you. The next place I want to take you is the prophet Elisha, and the Shunammite woman. She originally got a miracle where Elisha prophesied over her that she would no longer be barren but have a son. Then at a certain point, that son was in the field working with his father and cried out, my head, my head, and fell to the ground and died. He had some kind of attack. And she saddled a donkey and went to find the man of God. And Elisha's servant was sent. Elisha saw her from afar off, and he sent Gehazi to her because he could sense that she was frantic and knew something was awry. And when the servant got close to the Shunammite woman, and I'm reading from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, he said... Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? 
Those were the statements Elisha told Gehazi to make. Three things. Is it well? Is it well? Is it well? With you, your husband, and your child. In the original Hebrew, the word is shalom. So in other words, the servant was saying, is there evidence of shalom with you, with your husband, with your child? Is God blessing you with peace, with rest, with wholeness, with completeness? Nothing missing, nothing broken. And amazingly, the Shunammite woman said, it is well. In the original Hebrew, shalom. Her child just died, but she knew if she could get to the prophet Elisha, God would work a miracle. And he did. The child was raised from the dead because she dared to speak a positive word in a storm of negativity around her mind and around her life. Do the same thing. Next, let's go to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. Now, the story of Gideon is quite lengthy. He was fearfully beating wheat behind a wine press for fear of being found by the Midianites and the angel of the Lord, which is an Old Testament term for the pre-incarnate Christ, appearances of the Messiah long before he came as a baby in Bethlehem. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you. He said, uh, the Lord is with you. Go in this your might, and you shall save Israel. And uh, of course, Gideon was afraid, but the Lord said to him, Shalom, or peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Because he said, I've seen an angel face to face. And of course, he thought he would die as a result of this supernatural visitation. But the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Shalom be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And so Gideon built an altar that day to the Lord. Because when you're launching something for the kingdom of God, if you're launching a project, if you're launching a commitment in your life personally, it's time to make it an altar experience, a place where you spend time prayerfully consecrating yourself to a certain purpose, to get God's strategy, to get God's plan, and to make sure you are 100% committed to this goal. And so he built an altar, and interestingly, he called it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord our peace, or the Lord is peace. And that was before he faced the Midianites. That was before he mustered an army. That was before the battle ensued. And so in advance of warfare, he declared God to be the source of peace. I think we can learn from that, that before we enter into some kind of battle, we should build an altar, build an altar in our hearts and in our minds and call that altar Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. And it's our way of saying there will be a peaceful outcome to this, even though I'm walking into a storm of stress. It works. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. God did that in advance of the birth of the Son of God. He prophesied many years prior to that through Isaiah, a very favorite prophecy that's 
quoted quite often around Christmas every year. You hear it everywhere, and you see it in quite a few places. Isaiah 9, 6, that says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And in the Hebrew, it's Sar, S-A-R, Shalom, which, of course, is translated peace quite often, but also all the other words I mentioned at the beginning, welfare, wholeness, completeness. Those are some of the multiple meanings of the word. But he was referred to as the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, before he came into a war-torn world that is ripped to shreds by the warfare that has been initiated by Satan, who wants control of the human race. Now, just because Jesus was called the Prince of Peace did not mean he had a completely peaceful existence. He was opposed. He was ridiculed. He was persecuted. Ultimately, he was crucified. But there was a peaceful outcome And the ultimate end of a thing is what matters most, right? And that peaceful outcome was seen especially after the resurrection. But prior to that, I want to mention something he declared to his disciples right before he left the world. John recorded things that he said more than things that he did. The other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, focused primarily on the miracles that he did, the acts that he performed. They also integrated his message into it, but I think John was more in love with the depth of the revelation that flowed through him. And in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, you find some of the final revelations that flowed through Jesus and declarations that flowed through Jesus right before he went to the cross. And one of them is John 14, verse 27, where he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give unto you, but my peace I give unto you. I have a feeling he did not speak in English when he said that. And if he was a Jew speaking to Jews in a spiritual atmosphere, surely he said, my shalom. I give to you, not as the world gives, because the world doesn't have shalom. Any peace you find in the world is a counterfeit peace, and it's a temporary peace, and sometimes a very false peace. The peace I felt as a yoga teacher over 50 years ago was a counterfeit peace. It wasn't the real peace of God. But Jesus said, my shalom, I give to you. Well, the only way to receive a gift is to reach out and be receptive and assume it or draw it into your life. And you should do that. You should say, Lord, I want your peace. I want to experience the same peace you had. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, several times in the Gospels, it records him saying right at the beginning, the first statement that comes out of his mouth when he appears to his disciples is the word peace. But once again, it was a Jew speaking to Jews. So I have a feeling what he said was shalom. After he'd just become sin for the human race, tasted death for every man, 
He was swallowed by death. He went down into the underworld for three days and then arose victorious. But after it all, he said, Shalom. So the Shalom has been established by what he did and by what he executed during those few days. He told us when we enter into a person's house, we should say, peace be unto this house or shalom be unto this house. And he said, if a son of peace is there or someone who loves shalom, who loves the peace of God, who relates to it, who agrees with it, who believes in it, then your peace will come upon that house. So it's like your shalom and somebody else's shalom can mix together. There's a certain gift of peace on your life, certain gift of peace on their lives. But he said, if a lover of peace, if a seeker of peace is not in the home, then your peace will return to you. Very peculiar statement. That's Luke chapter 10, verse 5. Now, I want to end it up with the end of this age. Because we read about the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God when the new creation is established. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Because see, Christianity is linear, not cyclical. Most of your Eastern religions, they have a repetition of cycles over and over again, from ages that are wonderful and glorious to ages that are depraved and dark. And it's never ending. There's no final solution. But in Christianity, we're building toward a final climactic end. And that's the new creation. Thank God for that. And the capital city of the new creation where the glorified saints of God will abide and where the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, will abide is called Jerusalem. And in the Hebrew, Yerushalayim is where they pronounce it. It means possession of peace. The irony of that, the utter irony of that, because earthly Jerusalem has been burnt to the ground 27 times. It's been a focal point of controversy and pressure and international tension, especially since May of 1948. There's been hatred vented against that city and that nation. In fact, when Israel was proclaimed to be a nation May 14th of 1948, they were immediately attacked by six Arab nations if you count the Palestinians within their midst as a separate nation, it would be six. The sum total of those population was over 100 million people against 800,000 Jews. There's no way you can win. But their city was called possession of peace in the midst of warfare. Not just any peace, but the shalom of Yahweh shalom, the Lord our peace, the shalom of Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, was over that city. And somehow, miraculously, the war was won. I've stood on the battlefield many times where 500 Arab tanks came against just a handful of Israeli tanks. And the Israelis won against unbelievable odds. I think there were 27 Israeli tanks and over 500 Arab tanks. You don't win against odds like that unless the God of peace is with you. Because Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace, the God of shalom will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Notice this under your feet because you've got to participate in the process. 
is God flowing his power and authority through you to establish peace in war-torn areas of your life. Finally, Isaiah 9, verse 7, and that's the verse after the wonderful Isaiah 9, 6 verse I quoted a few moments ago. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. If I take that literally, then that must be why heaven will never get boring. Because there will be continually an increase of the depth of who God is. Right when we think we've experienced the ultimate shalom, the ultimate peace that God could fill us with, God will create within himself a deeper expression of peace, and then we'll we'll be plunged into that peace and be surrounded with it and overflowing with it. And we'll think this is the ultimate, and then God will take us to a higher level and a higher level. Notice the connection, though, between government and peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So apparently, God will be increasing the size of his universal domain and penetrating it all with his shalom. What a wonderful future is out ahead of those who surrender their lives to the Prince of Peace. And if you've never taken that step, I urge you to ask Jesus to come and be Lord of your life, repent of your sins, get rid of the warfare that's between your lower nature and this this higher calling to be a child of God and invite him to give you that spiritual rebirth that is called being born again. And I guarantee you one of the first signs of being born again will be peace that passes understanding. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.